Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. We are so excited that you joined us today. Our lead pastor, Pastor James Lair, is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. No matter what's going on in our life, it can be well with our soul. Even if we're dealing with kidney stones, it'll still be well with your soul. The last message we've been talking about is the woman at the well. Probably the most popular story about a well in the whole Bible. And it's a fascinating story. Jesus had traveled with his disciples through Samaria, and that was dangerous because the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. And while the disciples went into town to buy food, Jesus sat down by a well And a woman with quite a reputation came out to the well in the heat of the day to draw water. And to her shock, Jesus struck up a conversation with her. And when he began to address the details of her life, she changed the subject to religion. And here's where we left off in our story. John chapter 4, verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. And so we see the woman carrying on a conversation with Jesus. He starts addressing the issues of her life. She starts changing the subject to worship. And Jesus deals with that about how important worship is in spirit and truth. And then she shifts over to they were looking for the Messiah. You see, both the Jews and the Samaritans believed that a rescuer would come to rescue them from the Roman Empire. And the word Messiah is Hebrew and the word Christ is Greek and they mean the same thing. They mean the anointed one from God. And according to the NIV Study Bible, the word carries the idea of being chosen by God, consecrated to his service, and endowed with his power to accomplish the assigned task. And toward the end of the Old Testament period, the word assumed a special meaning. It denoted the ideal king, anointed and empowered by God to rescue his people from their enemies and establish his righteous kingdom. And so the the Samaritans and the Jews were looking for this Messiah, this king that would come and set them free from the Roman rule. Little did she realize that the Messiah she was looking for was standing right in front of her. I mean, can you imagine that? She She brings to Jesus, yeah, we believe the Messiah is coming. And Jesus is like... Here I am. She believed. She did expect and hope for a Messiah. But she had to realize that she would need to know the Messiah personally for herself. The first point I want to make is this morning is this. Every one of us needs to know the Messiah for yourself. You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This is not about following the rules of a religion. This is about having a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, here's what is interesting about Jesus and what he said about himself. Jesus often kept his identity a secret. 
He would do miracles, and then he would tell the person he healed, don't tell anybody that I did this. And so all throughout his ministry, he often tried to hide his identity because he was waiting on the timing of the Lord before he was fully revealed. But he would often tell people, now don't tell anybody, but guess what they would do? They'd tell everybody, and the crowds would grow. But Jesus even told his disciples, do not tell anybody that I'm the Christ, even though they knew he was. We see this in Matthew 16, verse 16. Jesus had asked his disciples, so who do people say I am? Who do people think I am? And they said, some think you're John the Baptist, some think you're Elijah. But Simon Peter answered correctly. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Wow, that's a proclamation. And Jesus said, right on, Peter. And this didn't come to you. It was the spirit that revealed this to you. But in verse 20, it says this. Then Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. And so though they believed he was the Christ, he professed to be the Christ. He told them, don't tell anyone. But what's amazing to me, usually he's telling people, don't tell anyone. But here he reveals himself to the woman at the well. Here's a woman with a bad reputation, a rough life, has had a difficult existence, and that's the person of all the people Jesus chooses to reveal himself as the Messiah to this woman. Doesn't that fascinate you? It fascinates me. He reveals himself to a woman who is considered an outcast, both by the Jews and her own people. You know what I gained from this? God really, really loves sinners. He really does. He really wants to reveal himself to people who have a messed up life and need a savior. God loves lost people and he wants them to be saved. And so by saying, I am the Messiah, Jesus is proclaiming himself as the son of God. And both the Jews and Samaritans were looking for him and here he was. Now, it's important for us to understand that you cannot get to heaven by someone else's faith or religion. You have to have a personal decision in your own heart to follow Jesus Christ. And we know John 3, 16, but I want to read it from the Amplified Bible. It shows how what we must do to be saved. There are not many paths to God. Jesus said he's the only way. He is the only way. And so people have to come to that place where they meet God for themselves. They've got to come and accept Jesus Christ for themselves. Look at John 3, 16. For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten unique son so that whoever believes in, trusts in, clings to, relies on him shall not perish, come to destruction, be lost, but have eternal everlasting life. Now, everybody wants to go to heaven, but there's only one way to get there. You, ha you have to believe in God's Son. You have to believe that Jesus is the Messiah that was prophesied for thousands of years to come. He was the fulfillment. He is the Son of God, the eternal Son of God. And so you have to make that decision for yourself. Do you believe it or not? You must be the one that makes that decision and that choice. You must know Jesus, the Messiah, for yourself. And so it said his disciples returned about that time. And it says they were surprised to find Jesus talking with a woman. Here's something we have to be prepared for. Number two in your notes, 
God surprises us sometimes. I, I got to tell you, you, God is unpredictable. We can't try to control him or get him to do things in our time frame. The Lord will do his will in his time and his way. And sometimes we, he'll do things we do not expect. He'll do things that surprise us, like, really, God, you're doing that? And Jesus was breaking protocol by talking to this woman. The disciples, they were surprised. They were shocked. First of all, Jews did not speak to Samaritans. And secondly, religious leaders were not supposed to engage women in conversation in public. Now, these were not rules from the Bible. They were not rules from God. They were rules of men. These are what the men had come up with. Wouldn't you figure it? And so it may have been the rules of the day, but they were not the rules of God. And God will violate man-made taboos in order to save a soul. Do you know that? God, he'll break a cultural practice because, how many know, not everything in a culture necessarily is right. Just because it's cultural, just because it's common, just because everybody's doing it does not make it right. And so... God sometimes will go against the flow. He'll go against the grain of our culture and our world today. And so we cannot allow any worldly or man-made traditions to keep someone from salvation. I mean, you know, we need to be welcoming for people. It doesn't matter. We need to reach out to them. And here's, here's news for us. Sinners sin. That's what they do. And so what we need to do is get them saved, and then God will sanctify them. And so we, we need to have those open arms and, and not judge people based on worldly standards. We can't allow these rules to keep people from being saved, from meeting Jesus. Now, when my oldest daughter was probably about eight years old, Jenea, she wanted a, a bunny, why do we buy pets for our children? At, tell me, why do we do this? You know they're going to die. Those pets are not going to outlive you. Come on. Why do we punish ourselves? Because then they die, the kids cry, and then we cry. Especially if you've gotten close to that stupid animal. And so my daughter wanted this bunny, and she got this bunny, and it was the color of a dolphin. A beautiful gray bunny, so she called it Dolphy. Dolphin, Dolphy. And so this bunny would be, you know, it was very social and very personable. So sometimes they would take it in the backyard and let it bounce all around. Well, guess what? We not only had a bunny, we had a dog. And this dog was a, a part lab, part Tibetan mastiff. So it's, it's a lab, so it's instinctively, you know, it loves to chase and eat things. And it was a Tibetan mastiff, so it was a big dog. And so... We would lock the, the dog in the side yard so the bunny could frolic in the backyard with the children. Now, my Jenea had a little brother named Jaden, still does. And as little brothers go, and Jaden was probably four or five years old, well, Jaden got a little rough with Dolphy, okay? He didn't know, you know, how to treat this bunny, and so he, he got a little rough with Dolphy, so Jaden was put on probation. I told Jaden... You cannot touch the rabbit. Do not touch the rabbit. You're on probation because you were too rough with the rabbit. Well, I want to say a wabbit. I just can't. 
Waskily Wabbit. And so we're in the house. The kids are in the backyard with the, the rabbit, Waskily Rabbit. And all of a sudden we hear this blood curdling scream. It's Jenea screaming like someone's dying. And so we, we run out in the backyard. I, I run out in the backyard. And what do I see? Behold, the dog got out of the side yard and made a beeline for the bunny. I mean, it was like, it was on a full tilt toward the bunny. And so I come running out in the backyard. And what do I see? There's Jaden holding the bunny by the head, turning around in circles, trying to keep it from the dog. He's got the bunny in a vice grip, and the dog's ready to eat that thing, man. He's about one chomp, and that thing is dead. And so I was able to get the dog and get it into the side yard, and, and Jane said, Daddy, I know I wasn't supposed to touch the bunny, but I thought I should. <laughs> I said, you did the right thing, son. You did the right thing. You broke the rule and saved a life. I want you to know, sometimes God will break the rules to save a life. I'm not talking about his rules. God never violates his word, never goes against his own word. But I'm talking about the word, the, the, the rules of men, the rules of this world. God will go against the grain. He will go against what is going on to save someone. And here's something to think about. God may even break your rules to accomplish his will. Think about that. Because we all have rules, don't we? And they're not necessarily rules from the Bible. They're things we've come up with ourselves. And sometimes God will go against our own rules to save a soul. Because our rules aren't always the same as God's. So be prepared for God to surprise you sometime in your life. You know, I think we're going to be surprised by certain people we meet in heaven. Like, really? But get this. Certain people are going to be surprised that we're there too. You know what I'm saying? I guarantee you there will be some folks in heaven like, James, you're here? Wow, they lowered the standards. Yeah, we, we may be surprised because God has a way of surprising us and God has a way of saving people because that's why Jesus came, to seek and to save the lost. God loves the lost and so should we. We need, to, we need to see people as they are without a savior. You know, the other things in their life, that will, God will work on those. But we need to see them as lost. And that they, they need Jesus. And so the disciples had some questions in their mind, like what is going on? What is Jesus doing? Does he not know the rules? Doesn't Jesus know the rules? You're not supposed to be talking to this woman. And so they, they wanted to ask those questions, but they didn't dare. They had learned, you better be careful the question you ask, Jesus. We need to keep this in mind. Number three, be careful when questioning God. Now, God is not afraid of our questions. You look through the Psalms, the psalmist asked a lot of questions. Why? Lord, how long, O oh Lord? So it, it can be appropriate to ask God a sincere question. God's not afraid of your questions. It's not wrong to say, God, I don't understand. Why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? I think there's nothing wrong with pouring your heart out like water before the Lord. But we also need to be careful 
that we don't ask in cynicism or recklessness or in any way that's disrespectful or dishonoring God. See, the disciples had learned their lesson about asking reckless questions. Look at Mark 7, 17. After Jesus had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Verse 18, are you so dull? He asked, I just love that. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. Hey, knuckleheads, do you not get it? How long have I been with you? And you still don't get it. And so disciples knew better than to ask a question <laughs> that may not, you know, get the answer they want. Jesus nailed them because they were being spiritually and intellectually lazy. I mean, you know, we can be spiritually lazy. Now, we all have said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God this. Right? We've all said something like that. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God. I want you to know, when you get to heaven, you won't care. And the Bible says you'll know as you're fully known. And so that, those questions you have, I'm telling you what, they're going to fade into... They're going to fade in the glory of Jesus Christ when we see him face to face. Those questions won't be as important anymore. And so we can ask questions, but we need to be prepared for something. If we question God, he may question us. Are we ready for that? See, Job had a lot of questions. He had done nothing wrong. He was the most righteous man on the planet, and yet he lost everything. And so rightly so, Job had a lot of questions. I don't understand this, God. I didn't do anything wrong. I don't deserve this. Why is this happening to me? Why won't you come down and talk to me? Well, guess what? God came down. Verse, Job 38, verse 1 through 3 in the New Living Translation. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man. Because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. So, if you're going to ask God a question, brace yourself like a man or a woman. Just brace yourself, because he may have a few questions of his own. And how many know if God asks you a question, he already knows the answer? So be ready for that. Again, I, I want you to understand it's, it's okay to ask the questions with a sincere heart. It's okay. But you have to understand this. We may not get the answers on this side of heaven. It may not be revealed to us. And even if we get the answer to the question, it may not give us peace. We may not like the answer that God will give. And so it's at times like these that we need to trust him. When we don't have answers, that's when you need faith. Between the question and the answer, what keeps us going is faith. We're going to trust him, even if he doesn't answer our questions. And so it says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town. My fourth point this morning is, leave your water jar behind. Now, everything in the Bible is recorded for a reason. There's nothing just trivial. There's nothing flippant. And so there's a reason it says she left her water bottle behind, her, her water jar. Now, that stopped me when I was studying this passage. Why would, why would John include this in his letter? Because it's vital. The fact 
that she left her water jar behind is a critical reason. This woman, remember, had been labeled by her town. She, she had the label of adulteress. She had the label of a family wrecker. I mean, she had the label. It was all over her. She had the scarlet letter, not literally, but certainly figuratively. And it wasn't a good label that she had. How do we handle labels? So I, uh, it's been a journey, this, these kidney stones, I'm telling you. And, you know, because you, you have to go through the steps to get to the next step. So I went to my primary care physician. He did a urinalysis. And then after the urinalysis, he wants to do a blood test. And after two blood tests, and oh my goodness, have you tried to get a blood test lately? I mean, there used to be five clinics to go to. Now there's like one. And I sat there for an hour and a half with kidney stones, bless God, waiting to give my blood. And then once I get the blood test, they found my kidneys are in distress. Then they can re finally refer me to a urologist. I am I allowed to say urologist? Is that bad? I mean, we're, you know, on TV and everything. But anyway, and then I finally got to the urologist, the, the, the potty doctor. Okay, how that sounds better. And I had to go to that step before I could get in. Oh, oh, in the middle of that, I got a sonogram. Me and a bunch of ladies. Hey, ladies. I'm about six months. And you know, you, hey, y'all, ladies, I'm, I'm with you because you can't empty your bladder. You know what I'm saying? With that ultrasound. So I, I'm with you. Solidarity. And then the, the ultrasound showed blockage, so they allow me to... Now get a CT scan, which I had on Friday. I have no idea what the results are. And so it was just every step, there's, an, you know, and that's why it's taken over two weeks. And I'm dying. Bless God. But at my first blood test, I, I finally get in. After waiting an hour and a half, you finally get into the back. And there's the lady with all the needles and stuff. And I got to tell you, I watched the needle go in. Because I'm trying to be a man about this, okay? Because I, I feel like, you know, I'm a little, of a, a little bit of a wimp. So I'm going to at least watch the needle go in. And b before she was going to stick me with the needle, she's looking at the form, right? Because you've got to have the right things. And she said, did you notice they put this on your form? And it, it said, overweight. <laughs> Can you believe the audacity? First of all, I want to know, why are you putting that on my form? I'm 5'6", 165 pounds. I'm husky. I'm not overweight. Little chubby, little pudgy. Don't you dare call me overweight. Why don't you just call me obese? Just get it over with. Call it. Go all the way. And so I'm thinking, why? What does that matter if I'm giving blood, if I'm chubby or not? I don't understand that whatsoever. And then the other thing is, why is this lady showing it to me? I wanted to say, lady, if I'm overweight, what are you? No, but I wasn't going to say that. I wasn't going to say that. I was repented that it came to my mind. And... But they labeled me overweight. I've lost 16 pounds in the last two years, bless God. I think I look okay. <laughs> and so she's taking the blood. And usually I fill up the vial like, you know, in 
seconds. I, when I give blood at Houchin, I fill up that little basket or little whatever it is fast. Well, for some reason, I, I don't know if I was dehydrated or something, but I couldn't get the, the file to fill up. And so she had, said, I'm going to have to slide this partially out and rearrange it. I'm like, so she did it. I'm watching. Remember, I got to watch. She pulls it out and she's trying to stick it in other places. I'm like, it's a good thing, lady, I'm overweight because I would be upset right now. She finally had to go to the other arm. I was labeled. This woman was labeled. The water jar was a link to her past. It had to be left behind. You see, the reason she was there to draw water at noon was because of her reputation. And she didn't want to face people. She didn't want anybody coming to criticize her. She wanted to avoid her responsibility and, and not own her mistakes. But remember, Jesus had offered her living water. And he said, you'll never thirst again. You know what this woman did? She believed that and left her jar behind. That's an act of faith. Now we understand that she would still have to have physical water, but the fact that she left her jar behind meant she believed in the Messiah. He said, I'll never thirst again. I don't need this. I don't need this link to my past. I want to, hear, I want to tell you, God wants to sever the links to your past that remind you of your mistakes, that remind you of your failures. God does not want you living in failure. He does not want you living in regret and guilt and condemnation. Do we understand that? Then why do we live there? We gotta leave the jars behind that remind us of our failings. Because we're forgiven and we're free. And so we gotta leave some jars behind. And she left it behind. And when Jesus calls you, you, you need to be willing to leave everything behind. That's the call of Jesus. Remember the old hymn, I surrender all. Not I, I surrender some. I surrender partially. We surrender all. Look at the calling of Jesus' disciples in Matthew 4.18. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. And I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. I love Zebedee. I love that name, Zebedee. I love just saying it. I've never dedicated a baby by Zebedee. Somebody get to work on that, because I'd love to dedicate a baby named Zebedee. And his brother John, they were in the boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father. Can you believe this? They left their business. They left their income. They left their dreams. They left their family to follow Jesus. I want you to understand, sometimes that's the price. Sometimes you have to leave what you know. Even sometimes we have to leave family to follow Jesus. But we have this promise. If you're willing, if you're willing to leave all, we have this promise in Luke 18, 28 and 29. Peter said to him, we've left all we had to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or child for the sake of the kingdom of God, and it goes on to say, 
will receive reward many times over. In other passages, it says a hundred times over. And so if we're willing to leave the jar behind, we're willing to leave the past behind, we're willing to leave those things behind, then Jesus will reward a hundredfold in this life and in the life to come. And so it's, it's, it's easier being able to leave it behind knowing that Jesus is going to bless you. What a promise. Whatever you have left behind, whatever you sacrifice to the Lord, he will repay. Finally, the woman unashamedly runs through town. Now think about it. She's out at the heat of the day to avoid people, to avoid the town. But then she runs into Jesus. She leaves her water jar and she runs back to the town who had labeled her and knew her. And she's telling everybody, come and see. And this is my last point. Call others to come and see. He said, come and see this guy who knows everything about me. You got to come and see. She was no longer ashamed. She was no longer feeling guilt and being labeled, she was ready to tell people what Jesus had done in her life. This is evangelism. You tell people to come and see. Come and see what Jesus did for you. Come to your church. Bring them to church and say, come and see when the Holy Spirit is moving in this place and people are touched by the power of God. Come and see. That's what evangelism is. It's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's evangelism. Here's this lady who had this terrible reputation, becomes an evangelist for Jesus. She becomes a missionary for God. None of her past mattered anymore. All that mattered is what God had for her ahead. And so, even in the calling of his disciples, the challenge was to come and see. Look at John 1:44. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. And guess what? Nathanael went and Jesus said, Hey, Nathaniel, I saw you sitting under the tree talking about me. And Nathaniel's like, oh, Lord, my God, come and see. That's our message to people that don't know the Lord. That's our message to those that are the woman at the well, the outcasts of society, those who are broken and bound in sin. That's our message. Come and see. Come and see what Jesus did for me and come and see what he can do for you. Would you bow your heads with me today? If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, or maybe you have at one time, but you know you're, you've drifted away, I want to give you a chance to come back to the Lord, your God. Come and see. doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. Leave that all behind and come to Jesus. That's where it starts. You've got to come to Jesus and let him fix your life. Let him restore your life. So if you're ready to accept Christ, would you just raise your hand? Anyone in this place, you want to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ? Anyone at all? Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Yes. You may put your hands down. 
And if you're watching online, you can raise your hand as an act of faith and God will see it. And for those of you who raised your hands, I want to pray with you. I want to lead you in a prayer. And the rest of us are going to pray along with you so you're not alone. So if you raised your hand both here in the sanctuary or watching online, would you repeat this prayer after me? And folks, would you join in with them? Dear Jesus, I believe. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you rose from the dead. Dear Jesus, I receive. I receive your forgiveness. I receive a new life. I receive eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. There were several who raised their hand this morning. If you would take this card in front of you and there's a place to say, I prayed to become a Christian today. If you would fill out your information so we can contact you and get you a Bible and get you started on your new journey. Or if you've accepted Christ and you're watching online, you can text the word born again, all one word, to 94090 so we can contact you and get you started on your journey. Would you stand with me today? I would invite you to think about this this week. What is God asking you to leave behind? What is your connection to the past that is still bearing you down? And sometimes it's not even a sinful thing. It's just something that keeps you weighted down because of the past. I'd invite you to consider that this week. Lord, reveal to me the, the water jar I need to leave behind, the nets I need to leave behind so I can be unencumbered to follow you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. You're free to go, free to worship, or free to come to the altars. Thank you for tuning in today. We are so excited that you joined us. If you chose to say yes to Christ today, we would love for you to text the word, born again, all one word, to 94090. By doing so, you will receive more information on your next steps in following Christ. We meet every Sunday at 8.30 and 11 a.m. right here in Bakersfield, California. At 4901 California Avenue, we would love for you to join us in person. Also, we have a live stream service at 11 a.m. every Sunday morning. You can find us on YouTube and Facebook. If you'd like more information about Bakersfield First Assembly of God, you can search us on the internet at bakersfieldfirst.com. Thank you for joining us today and have a blessed week.